0: When a group of girls go to a summer camp, they're expecting a little bit of rest, relaxation, and maybe some sisterhood bonding. Instead, they come face to face with a blood soaked maniac. And then we take a look at one of the most bizarre conspiracies we've covered in a while. Is it possible that furries are actually reincarnated werewolves? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. I had a tremendously fun vacation. I missed you guys, but I needed the break. But so much, so much stuff happened to me. I lost 15 pounds. That's dope on purpose, right? I didn't get both my arms chopped off. And um. I got a patch, not on my clothes, not on my clothes, I'm not a Raggedy Ant character, I wear a patch on my eye now, I'm trying to do some corrective vision stuff, because I have double vision, and my glasses just aren't working, so that's dope, dude, I'm telling you guys right now, I'm telling you guys right now, whether you medically need a patch or not, start, start wearing patches in public, people, I feel like I'm two feet taller, and people act like I'm two feet taller, it's crazy. It's crazy what just putting a piece of cloth... And don't get, like, a fancy one. Don't get one with, like, a starfish or have it all glittery and stuff like that. I mean, just go with a classic black eye patch. And you're like, Jason, if I don't have a medical reason, why would I cut off 50% of my vision at all times? I can take it off from time to time or move it from eye to eye. I'm supposed to move it from eye to eye. But the problem is it looks really good covering my... (laughs) It looks really good when it's on my right eye and doesn't look that cool on my left eye. So I'm like, hmm... (laughs) medically i'm supposed to alternate it but fashion wise it says the right eye will never see again but someone who we hope to see forever and ever how's the segue coming into dead rabbit command right now inching their way along the ground give it up to our newest patreon supporter it's hookworm everyone give a big round of applause for hookworm coming into dead rabbit command hookworm you're going to be our captain our pilot this episode if you guys can't support the patreon i totally understand just help spread the word about the show. That helps out so much when you tell your friends, you tell your families. That really, really your multiple families apparently, you're a bigamist. That really, really helps out a lot. And I got so much more news to tell you about what's been going on on my vacation. But we're going to get this episode started right now. Hookworm, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to hop inside and you're going to drive us all the way out to Brownsville, Texas. <laughs> I learned something this week I learned actually a lot of stuff this week I learned that I look cool with a patch of my eye I've also learned that Texas you guys may not know this but you know like there's ghost stories all over the world but for whatever reason for, I can't figure it out I'm still trying to delve into this phenomenon we're gonna be covering this a lot over the next couple weeks I got to spread them out but Texas has hands down Texas has the bloodiest ghost stories I've really ever come across. I was going through my favorite book, Haunted Places, a national directory. I'll put it in the show notes. I recommend every paranormal researcher have this book. I get no money from it, no affiliate link, just buy the book. And their te- I was reading their Texas section over the holiday. I actually read it all in a day. It's, the book reads like a breeze, but I mean, it's just murder after murder. And these ghosts in Texas are super bloody. Apparently, after the Battle of the Alamo, when Santa Anna's forces, they're like, "Okay, we killed everyone in the Alamo. Now let's destroy this fort. Right? We don't need this fort." They go to destroy. The... This isn't. An... <laughs> this isn't an history book, right? This part is in ghost books. This isn't a history book, as far as I know. Maybe I should keep digging. But anyways, apparently, as Santa Anna's engineers were going to topple the Alamo ghostly arms came out of the Alamo and started pushing them away. And they're like, ah. And then, like, ghost arms were, like, like holding torches out. And the, the engineers are like, oh, I don't think we're going to tear this down anytime soon, Santa Ana. And that's why it stands to this day. So, I mean, if you have a book report due on the Alamo, you may or may not want to include that detail. I don't know how historically accurate it is. I read it in a book called Haunted Places National Directory, but I'm like, that's some that's some badass ghost stuff. Apparently, it wasn't the ghosts of the people that just got killed. It was the ghosts of the Catholic priest who built the Alamo in the first place. It was like a mission, and then the uh, Texans came in and they turned it into the Alamo, and then they all got slaughtered. And then, and then, as history states, as historians all agree, as the engineers went to tear down the Alamo, a bunch of ghosts started pushing. Just the arms too, which is creepier. Whenever it's like disembodied stuff. It's creepier. If you're walking down a hallway and you see like a woman in black just kind of floating down the hallway, that's disturbing, right? But imagine if you just saw Imagine if you just saw her toe. Her toe just floating at toe level. It's like on the ground, then it's kind of moving. That's way more creepy. So the hands were pushing at the troops of Santa Ana again. Again. I don't know how historically accurate that is, but in ghost history, it's true. And while I was researching all of this Texas stuff, I came across this really cool website called Stormy Night Tales. And this website catalogs urban legends. It's a really cool website. We're going to be talking a lot about this website in the coming weeks and months, probably, too. They got a lot of stuff. But we're in Brownsville, Texas. Hookworm, pull us up to this little campground. We see these little cabins, and there's, like, reeds rustling. Shh! and there's tumbleweed going by. There's a bunch of arms. There's a bunch of arms pushing people out of the cabin. In Brownsville, Texas, there's this campground called Camp Lulu. And it's a girls' summer camp. And we're sitting outside the summer camp and we're seeing these girls run around and they're like flying kites and and throwing tumbleweed at each other, pushing each other into the arms. They're like, no, the infinite void. They're getting sucked into the cabin. No, it was a totally normal summer girls' camp. And the girls would go there and they'd be playing and, and doing whatever you do at a summer camp. But this summer camp had a counselor. Yeah, I know they all have camp counselors, but this camp counselor, when he'd be sitting there and he'd be, like, filling out paperwork. I don't know what camp counselors do. I don't know why I don't research this stuff either. I just research the ghost. Camp counselors, like, making kites or, like, building boats or something like that. And he starts hearing, kill them. He's like, what was that? Kill them. Kill them all. He's like, huh? What? Oh. Oh, well, (laughs) I guess I'll just go back to sewing this boat, making these moccasins. And this camp counselor is going through the rigmarole of the day. You know what a camp counselor does. And every so often he hears a voice going, kill them. Kill them all. And he's like looking around and the only people that are around are young girls. Now, if you were in like a war, if you're like a Viking running around with an axe and you heard a voice going, kill them all, you'd be like, "Okay, that's dope, dude. So that's what I was planning to do anyways. But if you're a camp counselor and you start hearing a voice, go kill them all, you're going to get a little weirded out. And like, that would be bad enough, right? <laughs> that would be bad enough if you're getting voices from the nether telling you to kill people, especially these young girls, right? But the voice was also saying, oh, yeah, I forgot the ghost. the Another ghost is like, you also got to rape them first. And he's like, what? That's a, that's a horrible escalation. I'm not doing this stuff. But these voices started filling his head with these horrible thoughts, and he can't stand it. Now, he has two choices. He can quit, right? He can quit and go to the hospital and say, hey, guys, listen, I'm hearing voices in my head. that are telling me to do horrible things. Or do the things, right? <laughs> I guess there's a lot of stuff you could do in between. But he decides one night the voices get too much for him. And one night, he breaks into one of these cabins and rapes and murders all of them. And then he runs away. Now, some versions of the story, he rapes and murders all the girls at the campsite. That's a lot for one night. Now, I don't know how many people went to this. I don't know if he was even the only camp counselor. To be honest, this is an urban legend, so we know some of it is true. Some of it is true. But I'll get to that. I'll get to that in a second. But some versions some versions of the story, he only kills all the girls at camp. In some versions of the story, he rapes and kills all the girls at the camp. So let's split the difference, because that's just way too much. That's way too much for one night. I will say, let's be realistic. <laughs> let's be realistic here with this guy hearing these voices from beyond the grave. He rapes and kills everyone in a single cabin. That's horrible, but more plausible, right? You could you could massacre everyone at a campground too, but you figure like they're running through the bushes and stuff like that. A couple are going to get away. Logistically, it would be very difficult. And if you started like throwing the rape on it, I, I don't think you could rape everyone at a campsite in a single night. <laughs> let me be fair don't try don't try to prove me wrong don't be like oh i'm gonna show jason so anyways he eventually is caught by the authorities and when they ask him why did you do that he said the voices told me to the voices told me to and the story was that this land was cursed which knowing texas history now probably pretty true right And the land was cursed and there was this ancient spirit, this ancient demon walking the land long before Camp Lulu was established. And when it found the right vessel to speak through, to act through, it struck against the world. So the camp was closed, obviously. No one's going to want to go there. No one's like, well, next year it might be better. The camp gets closed, and so far, it's been a hot spot of ghost hunting activity. So this is what we know is true. There used to be a camp, because you can see the buildings. You can see a bunch of buildings out there, a bunch of cabins out there where there used to be a summer camp. And it was in operation. Some people say it was called Camp Lulu. Some people call it Camp Lulu Sam's depends on the article that you're reading but it did exist up until as late as 1980 this wasn't something that has happened in like 1854 a bunch of coal miner daughters were hanging out at this campsite no this it was closed as late as 1980 so we can put the story in that time frame but there is no like news article or court documents showing that a mass slaughter took place at this site what's interesting is that locals are divided on this. Some people say it's all hogwash, it didn't happen, it's just an urban legend, while other locals say it did happen. It's interesting, though, this is one of those stories that you would think if someone plowed through an entire campground or even a cabin and killed even just one person, you'd find news articles of it. But what I've learned doing this show is, one, it's very, very hard to find information online pre-2001. Like, you can go through newspaper archives, but even those can be incomplete. Digital archives, you'd have to go out there to research it. It's possible that there was a murder. It's possible that there was a incident and it has been blown up to this level. It's also possible that something happened and it was covered up. Right. That if you did have this horrible crime happen, the tourist board of Brownsville, Texas, isn't going to want to put that on their banner. So it could be something that was really, really hush hush. But what we have is a bunch of empty cabins in the surrounding brush of Brownsville, Texas, in this legend. And if the story is true, it's absolutely horrifying. If it's not true, I think it's also a little horrifying that... The the myth that we as a society have decided to create when we see empty cabins is something so brutal and vicious and awful. But nonetheless, it is a very popular site for ghost hunters in the area. If you're in the area, you can try your luck. Apparently, there's a man with a shotgun out there. This is another thing we see in a lot of these urban legends. It was the same thing in Chaunceyville. They have a guardian. There's a man with a shotgun out there and he's there to protect the spirits of the girls. So basically it's to ward off ghost hunters. One ghost hunter apparently went into one of the cabins and this part would, I, this part I think would be true, but he goes into the cabin and there's hundreds of porcelain dolls. Maybe that number's a little high. Maybe there's only 12, but the, apparently this ghost hunter went in and there was porcelain dolls all over the cabin. And did the ghost put them there? Did the guardian put them there? Is it some sort of satanic worship? I, I could see people doing something creepy in a haunted location. And then a couple days later, the ghost hunter had a heart attack, which, I mean, it would have been scarier if he had the heart attack at the place, right? You're like, if you go into this ghostly adventure, you're like, oh no, that was awful. And then you're like, oh, time to go to Wendy's and you're eating a bunch of triple cheeseburgers and then you have a heart attack, it's a little less paranormal, right? But anyways, we don't know if that's true either. I was only able to find the porcelain doll report in like one or two articles. I read a bunch of articles about this, but. Very, very interesting urban legend. If you do live in Brownsville, Texas, <laughs> and you have a healthy heart, you have a healthy heart, and you don't mind being chased by a man with a shotgun, check out, check out uh, Camp Lulu. It might be, it might be a really cool ghost story. It might be a bunch of nothing, but either way, I love on the ground ghost hunting. I really do. I want to get back into it. So, maybe someday I'll go out to Brownsville, Texas. Hookworm, though, before we get there, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We're going to leave behind rural Texas. We are headed all the way out to a furry convention. As we're flying out to this furry convention, I got you your own furry suit. It's a snail. I give you a big old snail suit. You're like, oh, man, this sucks. I was like, oh, come on. It's a sexy snail. You're like, oh, this is like the grossest furry suit ever. As I was researching the story, I started thinking, are there plants? Are there people who dress up as plants and bang each other? I guess I should back up a furry, if you don't know. A furry is somebody who dresses up in a furry, suit. not all of them dress up in furry suits, but it, oh man, it's such a hard topic, I want to kind of bring it down into just a two-minute definition. A furry is someone who feels an affinity, I'm going to put it as polite as possible to start off, an affinity t- towards a fursona. A fursona is either themselves turned into an anthropomorphic animal, or a separate animal individual they've created a separate character so it's like a fictional character named Benny the bug and he's like a giant muscular beetle and then I'm Jason and then sometimes I'm Jason the June bug so Um, some, some furries will say that they're actually like, when they, oh man, this is so complicated. Let me break it down for you. Basically, furries are people who love to interact with anthropomorphic animals to become an anthropomorphic animal, maybe, or to have a friend who is an anthropomorphic animal. Oh my God, this is so complicated. A lot of times, though, it's sexual. Sexual. And you have the offshoots, like the My Little Pony people. What are they called again? Pony bro bronies that's the term and then you do have like these offshoots but generally it's either people who just love the culture of drawing pictures of like hey look at me i'm a skateboarding raccoon or whatever and then um but there's a lot of sex stuff in it too the the line is super super blurry i i'm sure there are furries who don't sexualize it Th- that's kind of the common perception but anyway so furries it's a subculture some call it a fetish um you dress up like an animal. And uh, you run around at a convention. <laughs> that's probably that's probably most concise I can make it without spending 10 minutes going into furry culture. But I, as I was researching the story, I thought... I know there are people who dress up as wolves and dragons and stuff like that. Are, and they go to these conventions and they yiff, which is where they rub up on each other. And that's like their sex. And then I've always heard if a furry... If you ever see a furry and their suit has pants... That means there's holes open underneath the pants for having sex. Like if they don't have any pants, they're just like walking around and it's like a Mickey Mouse. Well, actually, Mickey Mouse has pants now that I think about it. He might be hanging dong all day long too. But I've heard that when you see someone dressed up like a wolf and they're walking down the street going to a furry convention, no pants. That means they just are there for the convention just to meet other like-minded people. or And they might rub up on each other. If they're wearing, if you see like a fox, if you see an anthropomorphic fox and he's wearing cut off jean shorts, there's access holes down there. That's why they're wearing the shorts. That's just what I've heard. I don't know if it's true. I've had friends who are furry. I've never been a furry. I've been accused of being a scaly because I'm always talking about banging hot reptilian chicks. But I'm wondering, <laughs> Snaily, apparently, because I dressed you up like an anthropomorphic snail. I'm wondering if there's an offshoot of plant people. Like, there's a, a dude dressed up like a rose, and then another dude dressed up like a pickle. And they're like, ooh, looking at each other, and they're rubbing up. I don't know. Like, are there furry plants? Are there people anthropomorphic plant people? That's what I'm asking. I'm asking, is there an even weirder subculture than what we have? And it's interesting, because when we look at the subculture of furries, we tend to go, oh, I get it. Like, it is a lot of sex stuff going on with it, and I get it. I also grew up in the 80s, and I was watching Robin Hood, and Maid Marian was a really hot fox, (laughs) literally. And I, you know, like, I've seen some sexy cartoon characters. The mom from Tailspin was pretty good looking. She was like a bear or something like that. You know, like, throughout your life, you do see Bambi's mom. You know, like, you do see some sexy, the reindeer, the cute reindeer girl from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I'm being able to name a lot, a lot of them off the top of my head, which should be concerning, but I'm not concerned. We, I, I can, I get it, right? When I, I was like, dude, May Marion's pretty hot. I remember thinking that when I was a kid. I was like, oh, that, that's a very attractive design. But I never, like, got into it any more than that. I was like, oh, she's cute. So when people started dressing up as furries, and I found out about the culture, I go, oh, that makes sense. It's kind of my age group, a little bit before as well. And anthropomorphic animals, if fetishes start when you see something at an early age. You're a kid, and your big sister puts her feet in your face. You're like nine, and she's like, smell my feet, smell my feet, smell my feet, and you pop a boner. And now all of a sudden you have a foot fetish. I get that's why this type of stuff happens. Stuff that happens in your early... Nine might be a little early, but... Stuff that happens in your early childhood. You're 11, you're 12, you're sexually awakening. And um, your mom makes you brush her hair. That happened to a friend of mine. <laughs> that happened to a friend of mine. And they developed a hair fetish. Because it was just in that formative time. So, I get I get furries from that level. But... What we're going we're going to go a little bit deeper here, <laughs> like, please, Jason. Don't that was good enough. Just just stop it now. Just stop it now. Let's get a little bit deeper into this. I came across this post recently on the export. was really interesting. Export's been on fire recently. Export's been putting out some good stuff. But I found this interesting green text on the export, and, and this is what it was in summary. This guy, we're going to call him Jake. Jake is a furry. He comes right out in the beginning. He goes, listen, I'm a furry, but even I have a hard time, I don't have a hard time wrapping my head around the furry culture. I'm wondering where we come from. And he goes, I think most people, myself included, assume that it's because of anthropomorphic animals from Disney cartoons. But he goes, let me tell you what my journey was. He goes, I remember I I watched the cartoons. He specifically mentions Robin Hood. I watched these cartoons growing up and never really gave it much thought. He goes, but when I turned 16, something clicked inside of me. Something awakened inside of me. I had just discovered this idea of what furries was. And he goes, within about a couple of days, he went from being, oh, what's a furry? To... Being completely absorbed into the furry culture, into the yiffing and the fursuits and all this stuff. He went from just being slightly interested to toe invested like that. And he always wondered why that happened. It, 16 is pretty late to start getting just the develop, development of a brand new fetish. It's not impossible, but fetishes a lot of times start earlier than that. So his idea is, that, this is very fascinating, i never heard this before. His idea was this. Since the dawn of time. This is so cool. I really, really like this one. Since the dawn of humanity, right? Since we've been able to kind of communicate with each other in any sort of social group. We have had... This is across the globe. You can pretty much find any culture on the planet that's has done this. We began to engage in something called totism. Totemism. One of the two pronunciations. Totemism. Totemism. We began to worship... Not even worship. We begin to follow the path of the totem. And so the totem is a spirit guide. A lot of times it's an animal. Sometimes it's a plant. Sometimes it's a location. That a tribe would listen to for advice. You'd have a totemism. So you may have a tribal group. And we're going back 6,000 years. And one day their leader comes back from a vision quest and says... I am now one with the great eagle. The great eagle will guide my way. He will help me make decisions. He will be wise. He will be fair. And because this leader is so respected, the culture also takes on the totem of the eagle. This is replicated all over the place, and we can read any story about try like it's even replicated in popular culture, where people going on the vision quest, young men going out in the wilderness, and they have like three days to find themselves or die, and they they taking copious amounts of drugs or depriving themselves of food and water to bring apart these visions, sweat lodges, all of these things. It's replicated across the world to see that spirit animal. It's even a joke in the Simpsons movie. Like, it's just such a common trope because it's across the world. It literally is a common thing that happened and you would imbue yourselves with the spirit of the eagle, or the spirit of the eagle would be a separate figure. It's not actually inside of you, but it's a separate thing that is It is completely interwoven into the society, into you, even if it's a separate eagle. Even if it's separate, it's still part of your identity. And that was the way things were for thousands of years. If you were in a tribe... You had a connection to something else, a totem. But as the nomads, as the hunter gatherers begin to settle in cities, you started to see a little bit less of that, right? Now you're in a location, but it didn't completely go away. You were a little, you were now reforming the environment to your wishes. You were no longer subject to the whims of where you were going and where the buffalo were or anything like that you started to build settlements but what and so we for thousands of years we have this and then it just kind of stopped but what's interesting is it never really went away because we look at the banners of France and English kings and what's on them animals richard the lionhearted from from robin hood right that was their totem. United States, the great eagle. But it's become less of a personal thing, right? Russia has the bear. It's become less of a personal thing. Like we know that the bald eagle is America's symbol. But do you ever feel infused with the power of the bald eagle? We used to. If a leader came into power and he says, no, the eagle is done. It, I, My spirit animal is the boar. And it's a new way to do government. It's going to be super muddy and messy, and I'm going to gore people left and right. The rest of the tribe would take on the totem of the boar. So it would shift and things like that, and it would, could, it would affect your lifestyle. It would affect your policy, depending on which animal you're, you're with. And what this dude is saying, what Jake is saying, is that we spent so much of humanity... Connected closely to nature, communing with nature, imbuing ourselves with the power of the eagle, with the power of the wolf, with the power of the dragon. And that is not being fulfilled in any sort of way anymore. But our ancestral DNA is still crying out for this connection to this natural world. It still wants it so much. And what happens is, imagine this. So when we're talking about these stories, I'm talking about like the great leader. This was how it would work. The great leaders of the tribe or the shaman, the medicine men, the great wise people of the tribe. It would be their totem that would become the people's totem. And then you may go off and find your own totem, but it was through an arduous journey of self-discovery. We don't have that anymore right? We don't have that anymore. The problem is is that our ancestral DNA is still crying out for this connection to this wolf. This spirit wolf that your ancestors from Siberia had and their ancestors from deep within China had and their ancestors that deep from the Middle East had. And it's just this journey of humanity was so connected to these creatures. We don't have that anymore. And so we're still getting the beam into our head. We're still getting the message that we need to be connected to this. But the modern world is so corrupt and so sexualized and so materialistic that when that wolf spirit comes to you you want to bang it it has completely stripped it of all spiritual meaning the the modern world still has a need for this old religion this old in touch with nature... but we don't know how to deal with it... so we turn it sexual... we give the wolf a big bubble butt... rippling muscles... tight jean shorts... to hide the access holes... the connection between man and nature... is still there... but it's so broken... and frayed... and it's no longer the great medicine man... no longer the shaman or the warriors... or the people who go out to have these vision quests... it's people who have no connection to nature... Who are still recalling these great memories, and it's so corrupted they turn it sexual. That's absolutely fascinating. He, you know, he, he kind of wraps it up by saying that he, he does blame a little bit of the anthropomorphic animation culture for, he goes, it doesn't, not everyone becomes a furry because of that, but it, it definitely doesn't help it doesn't help and he he has a furry he's not he's he is proudly a furry he's not like i'm ashamed of it but he said what you need to do as a furry he goes without guilt he goes too much guilt is a bad thing but what you need to do as a furry is you need to stop one stop watching furry porn and then two stop sexualizing your own furry make a connection to that he goes the shamans used to go and they used to make these wolf skins and they would wear them and they would imbue themselves with the the skin of the wolf even though they killed the wolf and took the wolf's life, they respected spirit and wear the flesh now. He says that's the same thing when someone's making their fursuit. What they're really trying to replicate. They don't. This is all subconscious. This is all ancestral memory. What they're trying to do is they're trying to recreate that shamanistic practice. But they don't know how. They have none of the techniques. Those have all been lost to time. They don't know how. So it turns into this weirdo-looking cartoon character. It, it, with any good argument, and I love this because obviously he's not a zealot about this. He says, "Listen, there are some holes in my argument. One, if this, if there's any truth to this, he goes, it does seem to be that most furries are within these different types of species. Like most furries are wool canines or." felines there's you know like dragons like all this stuff he goes if this you think there would be a, if this theory was true you think there would be a wider variation of furries he goes but i think some of that could just be jumping on the bandwagon you may feel like you have a connection to a grasshopper but that's a really hard suit to make it's not super sexy and everyone else is doing the furry and you go well if i can't be a grasshopper maybe i'll just be a puppy Interesting theory, though. It would explain why it explodes. And he goes on to say, I, I, I thought myself here, but the animation industry, basically, he goes, is it making furries on accident? Or is someone doing this on purpose? Is someone actually trying to further corrupt mankind's connection to the natural world? Like, if we do have this way that we can actually reach back through our ancestors to talk to the same animals they spoke to that led the tribes from where they were at 10,000 years ago to today, you could talk to that same spirit animal. That would be something that you could see, quote unquote, the powers that be would want to eliminate. Right. So instead of us having the connection to the great eagle or the mighty wolf or the wise owl, you just want to bang them all. So our cartoon's doing this on purpose, and he, you know, he neither answers it. He doesn't answer that question, and that again is a sign of a very well written article. Is that you? If you if you ever come across something and they have all the answers, it's a little suspicious. So, really, really interesting work, and I, and I do want to take it a step further, and i will wrap it up like this: when we look at the stories of the shaman. In history, it's the shaman, the medicine man, they would see this, they'd have the vision quest of the wolf, they'd wear the wolf skins, and then they would impart the visions, the knowledge that they have on the rest of the tribe. But when you look at the world of the paranormal, there's a piece missing there. And that is, in pretty much any culture, not, it's not just that the shaman puts on the wolf skin, again, historians and scientists will tell you that, but when you look at the legends, they become the wolf. They become the eagle. They don't just get the power and the wisdom. They physically shapeshift. That's one of those things that you can look at almost any culture. And they have stories of not just the wisest people being able to commune with nature and be told secrets beyond that of the normal man, that they actually could assume the shape of those things. So science says that they just wore the suits, but in the paranormal world... They became these animals, which would become an even closer connection to that natural world. And it would explain why you had this time period of the hunters and the gatherers and the nomads, and they had their most powerful people being able to take on the attributes of the bear, of the wolf. And then later on, as society moved forward and our cities got bigger, no one actually believed that King Richard the Lionhearted had turned into a lion. But that was the symbol on his banners. It still had that totem. But my question is, is that if we did have a lineage of shapeshifters, a lineage of people who had unlocked the key of turning from man to animal back to man, that has been lost. And what's really interesting is when you go the farther back you go in time, the stories of somebody turning from a man into an eagle and then coming back into a man, or the shaman who turns into a wolf. Those were the most highly celebrated people of those societies. By the time the, when the hunter and gatherers had settled, by the time we started having cities and civilizations, let's fast forward, way fast forward, to like Roman times, Dark Ages times, shapeshifters were the enemy. Like the stories of werewolves were no longer about guardians. The stories, they were supposed to be killed on sight. When you just skipped back a thousand years, two thousand years, those are the people you those are the people you wanted to hang out with. So why did society shift from venerating the shapeshifter to hunting the shapeshifter? And now we that now apparently that skill has been lost. I mean, people will claim to see shapeshifters. We've covered shapeshifters on this show before, but the closest we have to it is these furry suits and what do we do? We deride them and we mock them right just on cue. How many people laughed at the topic of this episode? it is kind of funny it's funny, but you know what I mean like we used to venerate them now we hunt them and now we just kind of scoff at them right like I said, I have friends who are furries it's not something that particularly bugs me um but a lot of you know a lot of people make fun of them. And what is it about the anthropomorph, the connection to that? Especially if this guy's theory is true, when you see someone in a furry suit, and he's even if they've totally sexualized it, it's because it's such a pure energy being put into such a corrupt world. That how else would it? How else would it infuse? So, are the ancient shamans connected to the modern day furries? Like, could you argue that the furries of today actually are? The reincarnations of these great shapeshifters. And now they're in a world and they've lost all their memories. But their body, their soul still cries out for this connection to nature. But they're no longer leading a tribe in the middle of the Sudan. There's some Irish kid in Ohio. But he still has that yearning. He still feels that pull from the great night sky. That he must become this beast. He must lead his people. He's like, what? I just want to play Switch. And that pull is so great, it just becomes so corrupted and so sexualized that eventually he dresses up as a sexy vulture or something, goes to a con and gets railed by a bunch of people dressed up like porcupines. The purity of the idea guided humanity for thousands of years in a hostile planet. Until finally we became the dominant species, but we didn't do it alone. The totems guided us. That energy is still there. That magic is still there. But the world it feeds into now is darkened and corrupt. Instead of becoming a leader of your people, moving them forward, you just become a dude watching the cast of tails bang each other while sitting in an overpriced suit someone else made for you. Is the totem powerful enough to break through the cancer of society? Or is humanity, now and forever, cut off from our guardian spirits? I'm back, baby. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at Radio. You like this song? You like this song? Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm so glad you listened to it today. Have a great week.